How could the world be freed from the terrible dilemma of conflict on the one hand and psychological and social dissolution on the other? The answer was this, through the elevation and development of the individual and through the willingness of everyone to shoulder the burden of being and to take the heroic path. We must each adopt as much responsibility as possible for individual life. Oh, let me read that again. As much responsibility as possible for individual life, society, and the world. We must each tell the truth and repair what is in disrepair and break down and recreate what is old and outdated. It is in this manner that we can and must reduce the suffering that poisons the world. It's asking a lot. It's asking for everything. So that's kind of how we wanted to start this series because we think it's it's really the crux of what he's trying to say in his rules is taking responsibility um, shouldering the burden of being as he puts it uh, to reduce suffering um, what do you guys think I love that the book revolves around attention it seems like one of his major philosophical axioms is that attention is uh is like your base of operations as a human and like attention will bring you uh will bring you into alignment with the truth of suffering and with the possibilities of being able to alleviate some of it um it seems like there's a lot of ways to stick your head in the sand you know especially in modern life and i think his message is so it's so refreshing because he's just people always say like you keep saying things that i already knew were true you know and he seems to be striking chords uh striking chords that are not so much of a stretch for people and like and they you could just kind of nod your head along with a lot of the points that he makes i don't think I don't think any of us here agree with him a hundred percent, but no. like, but I had a heck of a time reading this book and I've been a fan of his for a long time. I I've gone through, I think three of the different semesters of maps of meeting online and two of the personality semesters. And I've watched God knows how many lectures and I've had a great time, uh, you know, soaking up his you know, his, uh, his philosophy. Mm. Um, and this book is definitely a, uh, his talks and interviews and stuff. I think what's interesting to note about him is, um, people on every side try to claim him for their own ideology or for their own purposes. And while, you know, in certain areas he might have specific leanings, he really does seem like someone that no one can wave as their flag, which is interesting about him. Um, you know, I have friends that have very strong opinions about him. I have some strong opinions of my own about some, you know, maybe some of the political ideas. But I've I've felt in reading him, he was no one's flag. Like he's, if anything, you know, he was looking for the betterment of being for everybody, regardless of ideology or practice. And I just, when when my wife and I were talking about this podcast earlier today, we were just thinking of like, you know, saying at the outset of the series that we do on this book, like, you know, we're not fangirls in the studio. We're not co-signing everything he says, but he really is someone who's, you know, and he's not perfect at it, but he's doing the best he can to 
to be as objective as possible in most areas and and reduce suffering which is i think something we should all get behind regardless of our political ideology or leaning like if a guy writes a book to try to help people reduce suffering <laughs> yeah so much of it's irrefutable right right like pay attention do the thing in front of you right. that can help your life and that can help your family's life right you know a lot of it is about taking responsibility mm. and uh, that seems to be that that's what he says his main message is and we had a a private conversation a while ago about how so many people have the same message but we we listen to them and we have a bad taste in our mouth and yet we can listen to peterson and somehow it it works like uh, i'm wondering if you've thought about that more and why, why it's not trite yeah, why, why can he uh, encourage us to take responsibility? And, and Why it doesn't feel like a self-help book or something? Uh, or why it doesn't feel like he's berating us. Like, I believe, so not speaking from the book and why the book isn't, isn't trite, speaking about responsibility. For me, it's, it's how deep he goes into, into basically his the Jungian thing is why it's not trite for me. Like this idea of man, man's journey of discovering the proper way to live and how the nuts and bolts, like the building blocks of man's like narrative comprehension of the proper life in looking at, the great writings and the great myths and the great stories, like there's things that pop out. Like the idea of archetype is like these basic story building blocks, these basic character, characterological, um, uh, modes of operation that like break down for they They like, they describe the paths that men go down, you know, and like, and in a, in such a deep way, we feel like what is like, like we, we connect to the, the story of the trickster. We connect to the story of the good mother and the bad mother, the, the tyrannical father and the benevolent father. And like, and they, and they seem to be like unconscious, like modes of reference for proper behavior without even knowing that we're set up that way without even knowing that we're set up in a, like as though we're inside of a story. It's like, I, for me, for me, that's why it's not trite is because he comes at it from that angle, that Jungian angle. Um, so I, it's the, maybe it's it is the narrative. Uh, so he, he, yeah. Instead of just saying like, these are the rules to follow. Right. He, it's he, not top down. He's drawn these yeah. rules out of narratives. Yeah. Young is like, what? why do we keep telling the same stories? Like, why is the story of the hero almost always the same? You know, why are there certain aspects to the feminine and masculine that are, that like, that, um, uh, yeah. Uh, so it's like. This matrix of understanding, basically. It's like, like Aesop's fables yeah. or Jesus's parables. Like, it it's like 
the use of story to to teach morals is the most effective way yeah he's saying he's saying like we discovered these rules like we discovered them um I, I there probably are people that could take this book as like pretentious and and authoritarian there or definitely like are. I mean, condescending I read a lot of comments online like that for me it's not just because like i know that it comes from deep study i guess that's a simple way to say it it se- it seems like maybe his credentials are part of why people take him seriously i mean he taught at harvard for a season he's a he has a doctorate i mean there are people who have said similar things but maybe don't seem as um, practiced in the field that he's trying to expound upon, if that makes sense. I mean, a lot of people who write about psychology, um, from what I understand, they they aren't always practicing clinicians. They're writing theory. You know, they've been to school. They're writing about things they've learned. They're expounding. They're, they're doing thesis work and certain things that interest them. But th- I think the fact that he's been boots on the ground and he's studied, I think... I don't know. I think but if that you makes go, him, if no, you go, go to like a grocery store, you know, you got like the 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 book thing the that spins, spinner. yeah. And there's like Christian books, like there's sure. a, you know, and then there's like self help ones, and a lot of those are written by psychologists that are looking to get paid. Sure. And and like and it does come off as trite, and why this book took off. Yeah. There's probably a bunch of aspects to it, like how he got famous, his connection with Joe Rogan. The whole the whole social justice warrior thing. His his particular posture was very interesting, like because he he's an unassuming character for standing up and against the left. And he's also like you said, Matt. He he's he's definitely centrist. So like in a lot of ways, he was above reproach, you know. And he seems to not say the wrong thing. Like he's he seems to be above reproach in terms of it's there's a few things that are debatable that he said but like for the most part he's very careful with his words and people are like watching him like a tightrope walker and I think that's part of why the book became famous but like there's a lot of people that in watching his lectures have said the same thing that Sam said which is like. Why is it he's just saying like basic things in such a deep way you think and it's, it's his easy too though? Definitely, he but I think it's the pathos. his grasp, like you said, Matt, like his grasp on on working psychology, like right. actionable, you know, stu- he's into uh, uh, psychometrics, right? He's he's like interested in statistics which are hard to like talk down, you know. And and it balances um, it balances his Jungian take because the Jungian thing is like very subjective and a lot and and kind of marginalized. So yeah. like he balances like this. He walks his tightrope even in his classroom, like between the Jungian and and he is like not afraid to talk about humanism and he's not afraid you know Rogers and and uh, he's not afraid to talk about Freud. He's not afraid to talk about the mainline people. He's not just a fan of Young. Obviously, he's a professor of psychology, right. but he, but I think he he balances it out. He like gets he gets into the stuff that's marginal, and then he gives a lot of data for you know personality traits and such too. So, and he's highly published, which is what you said he respectable. I would say a lot of what it feels about it to me is not um, 
I mean, I think it's a confluence of things. He's got that like uh, clinical angle, especially in this book where he's he's clearly writing to help people. He's yes. not writing to establish theory. Right. You know, he's got that in his other books. But also, as far as why it doesn't seem trite, it seems like a lot of people sound preachy or bossy, like when they're telling you, you know, act serious or self-sacrifice or whatever, and they're usually trying to get you to do something. Right. He's just saying, take your own life seriously. He's not mm. telling you what your goals should be. He's just saying, like, whatever you do, do it effectively and with consideration for the people around you. And that's, that's not usually how that lecture is given. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it could be felt that way. Sure. Well, sure. Even if somebody has a tyrannical father in their own life and then they're reading that into what he's saying. Well, he is the daddy of the internet, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. There were points, especially towards the end of the book, where I did feel I did feel a little bit um, defensive or like maybe he was sticking his hand in my cookie jar and I like wasn't comfortable with it. Um, and we'll probably get to that in a later podcast. So I, I wouldn't say the whole time I was engaged and I was like um, – you know, digging every aspect of it, but I definitely, I would say the majority of the time I was reading it, until those later chapters, for the most part, I was like, this is very helpful. <laughs> like, <laughs> this guy has some very helpful things. Like, I was telling Joe about um, the thing he says about the stack of papers, the bills on the desk. He's like, you walk by the stack of papers, and you're like, well, there's no way I could do the whole stack, so I'm just going to keep pretending it's not there. And he's like, well, that's not going to help anybody, so... And he talks about like negotiating with your own mind. Like, yeah. What would it take for you to do just mm -hmm. one of those one of those pieces of paper, one bill, one task in the house, and then what would the reward look like for you to get that one thing done? And then yeah. he says, and then you do it again, and you do it. And I was like, wow, this is so practical. Like, and even the idea of negotiating with yourself. How much time you're willing to do? Right. How much time you're willing to put in? And like he said, like. And reward yourself. Like if you do the thing that's been <laughs> haunting you, give yourself a beer. Go to a movie. And he said, and and don't disappoint yourself. Give yourself what you're asking for. You know. And I was thinking, wow, I've never thought of like arguing with myself in the third person. Like Matt, what would it take for you to do that task that's been like gnawing at your mind? You know. Uh, well, I I guess maybe I would want like a nice Italian cold cut sandwich. Well, then I'm gonna do that task, and then I'm gonna get an Italian cold cut sandwich. And like it sounds ridiculous, but. If that gets the task done for a price of a sub, you know, it's like, why not? It's, it's actually so like, it's, it might be another reason why he's not trite is that he puts his money where his mouth is, psycho, like in terms of as a psychologist, because he preaches a lot about how the psychoanalysts believe that the personality is a loose grouping of subpersonalities, like we're made up of subpersonalities, which is a hard thing to prove. Yeah. But like, He's putting his money where his mouth is in the fact that this is how he this is how he treats people or how he treated treated his patients is like you have one part of you that like is not so interested in going to that stack of papers and like you have you have another part of you that is really into reward sure. and you have another part of you that like can do a little bit so if you like learn if you figure out how to talk right between the parts of you it just feels like silly to 10, like talk to yourself 10 like minutes that. might be too much how much am i actually willing to do 
can I do a minute like really concentrating? Yeah. Well, like your pile will go down, which is what he says yeah. in that spot. It's such a great way to look at it. It does feel silly though. Cause you're like, cause I, he said in the book, you might say I shouldn't need that. And that was like what I was saying in my head. Like I shouldn't need to like negotiate with myself to do things that need to get done. But if it's just some giant stack of papers, you know, whether literal or figurative, there's something that I'm mm. like not willing to tackle because it represents stress or, mm. you know, like with being a new homeowner, I have no landlord to call. It's I'm the landlord. So something will break and I'm like, ah, oh, like I can't add that to the list. I already have to do this thing. And so then the list just keeps getting bigger. But mm. what if I said like, all right, Matt, like just like the electrical socket in the guest room, like just that like yeah. what would it take for you to do that you know how would you want to reward yourself for that little deed you know and i i don't know i thought it was i thought it was interesting that to think that you could motivate yourself by negotiating with yourself it just feels it feels funny but it's like he says in the book somewhere like around that spot like how do you know what you need to be motivated? Mm. And I thought that was like an interesting question. Like, how do you even know what you need to get that stack of papers done? And if you feel some whim, like, well, maybe I would do it if after I could go out with my buddies to the pub or whatever, then go out with your buddies to the yeah. pub and do that thing and just keep tackling it piece by piece. Well, when people say like, uh, this person's goal oriented, right? Like there's a lot to that. Like yeah. someone who's self-disciplined, there's a lot of self-talk that happens in its in a self-disciplined person. Sure. Have you guys ever seen uh, Jocko um, Willink's thing about good? Mm-mm. Yeah. He's got this whole thing about like, no matter what happens that's negative, you can always say like, good, I'm going to do this, or good, that means that I got to work harder in this area. And the reason why it works is because that's exactly how he's self-disciplined. It doesn't work for everyone, but he's essentially like putting on wax how his self-talk, how his self-negotiation happens. So he frames negative things in a positive way yeah, to motivate good. himself? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, I'm sick and I don't feel like getting up in the morning. Good, because then I can experience what it's like to feel sick and not want to get up and get up and go and do what I was going to do and kill it and crush it. And it's like, that's a heck of a way to talk to yourself because yeah. there's a reward in there, you know. Doesn't work for everyone. And there are spots. a form of noble lie, though, like the embrace the suck, like you lost an arm? Good. You know, your left arm gets stronger. Like, that's. But it means, like, it, it means, like, another part of them has to work harder. Not everyone. Some people just get yeah. bowed over by it. That's why I'm yeah. saying, like, I think it's, I think it's. I think it's personality dependent, obviously. Yeah, that's not my personality. I mean, it, it's clearly effective. Like, it definitely, there's some real truth to it. But that, I, I have the personality it doesn't work on, I think. No, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but okay, so my point was, like, what he's saying about self-talk, it, it's essentially, like, in, it's, a, it's an elucidation of, is that the right word? Like uh, unfolding, elucidation, yeah. elucidate. Like mm-hmm. to make clearer? Yeah. Yeah. It's like an elucidation of the idea of a person being disciplined or, or goal-oriented. Like like you don't want to play with the pile of papers, but to be goal-oriented means like to look at it as though you could segment it into different projects. Like yeah. you, it can be every paper can be a day, you know, and you could take a minute to read that top paper 
and like me and you, you get through it and then you put that in the done pile and like it that's goal orientation like it's pretty sad but like that is so the process he's he's basically elucidating the process of goal orientation he's saying like it's a conversation with yourself you know people do it they're always saying like <laughs> like super self-disciplined people are like they just talk to themselves in a very rough way sometimes you know and like and it works sometimes do you, do you but think... figuring out how to what uh at the beginning maybe you didn't say it but like the idea of like um taking care of yourself like treating yourself as though you're someone that needs to be taken yeah, care of that you're responsible one, yeah. for taking care of that's the second chapter um like a, a given person has a given capacity and their stack of papers is going to bring chaos into their life because there's a tax bill in there yeah. and there's like an unpaid water bill right. and their aunt has left them an inheritance they don't know about and like they need to get to the pile. Which, by the way, can we just talk about water bills as adults? So all that time our parents told us, you know, take short showers, you know, I don't want to pay the large water bill. And then you're an adult and you're like, my water bill's like... $22. It depends where you live. Does it? Okay. Yeah. In Baltimore proper, I had a nasty little water okay, bill. Okay, because like, maybe I'm like in a better spot, but like we used a ton of water one month, and I think our bill was like $26, and I was like, water. all this time I felt so guilty about taking long showers, and now I'm an adult, and I'm going to take as many long showers as I want for 20 bucks a month. Yeah, there's a, there's a capacity. Okay, so a given person has a given capacity, and like to be kind, to treat yourself to... To treat yourself as though you're responsible for your own well-being means that you don't give yourself a job that you're not going to do. Right. Because if you do the job, then your life gets better. Like taking responsibility and cleaning your room takes breaking down that large task into tasks that are doable for you as an individual. So that negotiation, that self-talk is what gives you... It's what like refines how you're actually going to achieve the goal, and only you can know if you're going too hard or too soft on yourself. Do and you like you have to act, be honest with yourself. Do you think that that self negotiation feels so foreign or strange because we grew up thinking that you know people that talk to themselves aren't well, or they're talking to yourself is not uh, something you want to do if you want to be socially accepted. Like there's kind of a there's a stigma on talking to yourself, but the way Peterson's explaining it, not necessarily muttering in the corner of a room, scaring people, but that there is a healthy way to speak to yourself that almost feels kind of silly or schizophrenic or, or strange to like speak to yourself in different voices. But I found thinking about some of the tasks that were like driving me nuts in the house in the way that he's saying it was like helpful, but I had to like get past the stigma of like matt you shouldn't be like talking to yourself and so you were person. actually talking out loud to yourself no <laughs> just walking <laughs> around the house reciting it no i i mean like in my head like mm. like quote voices in your yeah. head and like there's like a stigma with you know with mental health it's difficult for me even in my head to talk to like do self-talk that's what i mean deliberately yeah so i think yeah. i think what I mean, he's no go ahead sub-vocalization is pretty normal Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's well, how your I mean, brain works, right? Like I don't, I don't address myself in the third person ever, but I reason through things verbally. Right. Like if you're doing something, you know, um, that requires a lot of concentration, you might say out loud what you're doing. Or 
I don't mean yeah. that so much. No, I, mean, I, like, I don't go like, hey, Andrew, time to get the dishes done. <laughs> I don't feel like doing this right now. Hmm, maybe I'll start with just the silver. Right. Like, <laughs> but most, really act, like most actionable thoughts happen in language in your head. Sure. That's a whole Steven Pinker thing and stuff of thought, like that you think in language. Yeah, I'll sit up and say, okay, I can do the dishes. But I'm not going to like talk to myself no, no, in the third no. person. I, yeah. What I'm saying is that like he, he taps into something which is like, how to negotiate with yourself and then i would add without feeling crazy like yeah. a crazy person and that was for me when i yeah, read you that have piece, to go there yeah. you have to like go to a spot in yourself where you feel kind of crazy but you're like okay matt like what would you need to get this thing done or like yeah what would you need to like dig yourself out of this rut or you might be in a place you know listening uh, where you find yourself so depressed that that kind of negotiation won't even won't even touch where you are and i've been there too where like no matter how much raw rawing, I'm not getting out of that ditch without help, you know, from people. I feel like we were. I feel like we were taught to say encouraging words to ourselves. I think we were kind of taught to speak to ourselves and taught to well, say what. I think he was talking generally as Americans. I oh, would. If you're talking in a religious um, self-talk context, was big in our. Self-talk was big, but it depended on which self you were talking to. Because the right. new man, you could be edified and say all kinds of great stuff. But the old man, there were certain things you had to say to him that were psychologically unhealthy. There's also right. questionable utility because, you know, I could go and listen to three hours of messages and the dishes still didn't get done. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good so point. That's you know, a, that's I, a... I can encourage myself <laughs> in the Lord without encouraging myself in the dishes. Right, that... <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was my point. Like, I feel like we were taught to encourage ourselves in the Lord without the responsibility. Yeah. But was it really yourself? This is, I mean, we might not want to unpack this in the Peterson podcast, yeah. but, <laughs> but yeah. so like what I've realized is, yes, anytime I label the self as the new man or the spiritual man, I could speak to him in very kind words about being a new creation, about being forgiven, about being renewed and how there's hope. But anytime you talk about, quote, the flesh or the Sark's nature or the old man, it was words like um, wicked, deceitful, no good thing. So it's like, in a sense, yes, there was encouragement in the new man, but the, the core of you was not to be talked kindly to because that was the bad part and i think that's where as i deconstruct these ideas grow mm-hmm. you know growing up I, I use that term loosely because i've got a lot of growing to do but i do find that we were given liberty to speak kindly to the new man but mm-hmm. the old man which i would argue is closer to the core of us not so much the nasty part but just us being without anything attached to it the, our core i mean you could just, just kind of say blanket in my experience, self-improvement is not something that evangelicals really understand how to deal with, or at mm-hmm. least not in the circle that I grew up in. Yeah. Can yeah. you can well, you explicitly, you know, written off as like, okay, polishing the old man, the old man. is evil. Yeah. You are terrible. Accept it. Move on. And yeah. then think in the separate. Uh, That's what I mean. It's a separate, separate framework. Thing that you're allowed right. to be kind to. You know, but the assumption is you're never going to like. Like, take alcohol. The example was never moderate drinking, make good decisions, treat it like what it is, something that is a, a tool that could be absolutely terrible for you and destroy your life, but, you know, something to be reasoned with. It's like, no, that's the devil in a cup. Go mm-hmm. the other direction. 
Right. And yeah. and it helps it helps if you have an absolutist mentality about things, but it doesn't help if you have a problem. Right. And, and also and right because the idea of responsibility agency. agency is a difficult topic because mm-hmm. if you're filled with the spirit that means God is really the agent through you yeah. and if you're not filled with the spirit that means it's the flesh and you don't want to give him any responsibility because he's going to screw everything up. And if your self-conception is you are a child being led by a father it's you're not making the decisions here. Yeah, it's, you're it's, you're either following the one or following the other. There's, di- there's different there's different modalities even even in our upbringing there's different modalities of how they talk about responsibility and there's a lot of scripture that deals with responsibility it's just that if you take a literalist approach to the in, intangible anatomy of a man you're like well I'm just being a literalist here what are you saying when you say personal responsibility what is it what's driving Who's the bus in me right you know because goal orientation does have nuts and bolts if you're going to do anything i mean peterson here is doing a great job of elucidating like how the goal orientation works in real time but like anyone who achieves any goal is going to have self-talk whether it's organized Mm -hmm. or not so like we would we i mean we would accomplish goals it's just Mm -hmm. that it's just that what andrew said is true that the practical was sidelined because you have this dogma running underneath this structure underneath that doesn't give you the kind of it doesn't give you the kind of like uh it it doesn't give you like uh the right kind of visuals i guess you could say Mm -hmm. like it doesn't give you the right understanding of what that anatomy looks like and what you can trust and what you can't and and to do something common sense can be kind of confusing and and right. you can manipulate I, yourself I feel like out it, of doing common sense yeah. things i feel like it was very binary in that yeah you you were so your goals were either were either of the flesh or of the spirit right and it was super binary right and like and yeah it was like we were taught to pay those bills, but in the spirit. <laughs> how do you and, pay bills in the spirit? Right, so, so there's no work? nuts and bolts. There's no visual the for flesh. how for how the goal achievement <laughs> yeah. happens. Like you'd have to figure out the goal, how to achieve the goal on your own. Because, right. like, if the spirit's helping you, well, then you just, I mean, someone else has the wheel. I'm just like following his lead. Right. But that's not how the goals got achieved. You know, right. can someone explain to me how you pay a student loan in the spirit <laughs> fed loan? Yes, Lord. I bring this $500 chunk of my life to you. But I had a conversation a few weeks ago with someone who said like, you know, uh, it was with regards to like getting reservations for, uh, for accommodations on a trip. And we were trying to figure out the accommodations. We had to make a decision and they said like, well, I'm just going to see what the Lord brings. And I was just like, I, I'm fairly certain it's not going to work that way. So, like, we need to, like, put our put some effort into, like, finding the place that would be best to stay at and looking at prices and availability and making a decision, you know? like It's like this with health, too. I, I found this, this meme that cracked me up and... It's a picture of Jesus knocking mm-hmm. on a door, and he says, Hey, Debbie, it's me, the Lord. Listen, um, 
You need to stop telling your doctor that your health is in my hands. <laughs> You're going to have to watch your carbs and get your A1C checked on the regular. Yeah, okay? that meme is great. <laughs> no, it's but it's like, meme. it's it, it's dovetailing what you're saying. Yeah. That like, you, you don't take responsibility because God's going to take responsibility. And you're constantly, your whole life is lived in the passive voice. Yeah, most people do take responsibility. They just don't know, they don't know that they're doing it. Be, or like, they know that they're doing it, but they're not equipped with the nuts and bolts. Taking, I mean, this is where, I mean, Sam, you, you opened up. I'm sorry. No, no, a black hole. <laughs> no, but it, I mean, this is something that I think about a lot because, so there's potentialities. What? Keep going. Andrew's <laughs> face is so classic. Well, we, should we go back to fundamentalist land. Andrew just kind of like gets the thousand yard stare. <laughs> there's, a, there's like speaking of the self in terms of potentiality. Um, and then there's speaking of the self in terms of absolutes. And when it comes to where this meets Peterson, it actually kind of flows right into rule one. Um, if you look at the self having the potential to do good and bad versus looking at the self as absolutely good if it's the new man or absolutely bad if it's the flesh, like you kind of open up the door for someone to take responsibility when you take that first course because if I have the potential to screw up my life or to get my life right and that's not necessarily flesh or spirit, then I can take responsibility and I can actually affect a change in my life. And this is, you know, the stand up straight with your shoulders back. It's very difficult to do that until you, until you kind of edit out some of those absolute terms that you use for yourself and, and put it in terms of potential, like, Instead of saying potential I, evil in you and potential good, right? Like I am depraved is like a statement, right? It, I I take ownership of my depravity in it. You're completely. It's completely it's end to end. It's, it's top of the head to the soles of the feet, right? Yeah. Like Isaiah says, right? If you live in so, a system like that, uh, prostration is considered a virtue. Can you can you unpack that? I, I mean, so you know, the stand up straight with your soldiers back bit was talking about, you know, the lobsters and how lobsters on Prozac have different levels of neurochemicals and the lobsters with more neurochemicals, you know, the lobsters with more serotonin in their systems don't get picked on as much. Right. Um, you know, but if you're believing in an ideology where you are a worm, Jacob, you know, mm. and you are trash and the only reason you have any worth is because God saw fit to descend from the heavens to pick you personally by no merit of your own, but mm. simply by lottery that you're not Ooh. going to burn in hell, you know, then it's it's considered proper and sensible to walk around like you're a piece of trash. Well, but that's what I'm it saying. it turns that... out that not everybody in the world shares that value system, and they right. think it's freaking weird if you act that way. It's exactly. interesting how that, that, that chapter talks about, I don't think he uses the word, but like the snowballing of failure yeah. and the snowballing of success. And if you hamstring yourself to think that like your due diligence is prostration because you have nothing to offer and you really shouldn't be self-confident, you should only be confident in God. Yeah. You end up ha you end up having to attribute your failures really to like God's plan rather than your own actions. Yeah. And and then like or oh, that's just my nature. 
It's like mm-hmm. it's either God's plan that I failed or it's my nature. And that's what that's what I can't handle anymore uh, like ideologically I can't hold that tension because I feel like I feel like you never empower yourself to change if you constantly have an escape hatch when you do crappy things. Yeah. Oh, that's just how I am. I'm totally depraved, brother. Like, thank God for his mercy. It's like, okay, but like, how are you ever going to change your life? Well, I'm not. It has to be the spirit or it's the works of the flesh. It's like, I feel like you're... No, you have to change the tide. You have to like, you have to take responsibility for your life, which is what he's saying. And you have to find success. You have to succeed so that there's another snowballing. And not succeed like on Wall Street or succeed no. in the in the university, but succeed with the stack of papers on your desk. Right. Like and succeed with your jackass boss that just puts his thumb on your soul every day. Like you have to figure out how to navigate that. Right. And not just tell him off. Figure out how to win. How to make yourself like uh make yourself like uh obviously um competent uh not competent but like um vital for for his best you know what i mean like make it obvious to him that you're the most important person that he has do what you have to do to win instead of being the tail you be the head and it's like you think you have to remove those ideas that we were talking about earlier from the equation which is it's not like my boss is my bad boss is warfare against me it's that my boss is human and I'm human and I'm going to show him that I can take care of my stuff in this company. So if we're talking about like that teaching it, do I have to rid myself of that teaching? It depends. Cause I've seen a lot of people with those paradigms working on autopilot succeed without fail for decades. They're just successes, you know, I, and, I and feel, it works for them. I feel like the healthy thing could be that, uh, I have the potential to be absolutely Christ-like, and I have the potential to I'm be saying. absolutely demonic. And well, I don't know about demonic, but or or whatever. So, well, the, that's what. Yeah, we were saying it's potential is a, a healthy person. way to yeah, see it. Yeah, potential is the healthy way to see it because, and and also, yeah, I I thought about this a, a long time ago. Like, like amongst evangelicals, there's a habit to write off people who are not born again because Mm. they're not born again and and i just thought of it this way like like even when i was in that like i felt like everyone had the potential to be born again Mm. everyone has the potential to be christ-like so why don't we treat people like they have the potential to be christ-like and therefore uh and and yeah, I feel like that's a much be- better way of treating people than saying, oh, you're not quite born again. Therefore, whatever you say is from the devil. So yeah. I, I think that if you're asking the question of whether or not you need to rid yourself of that paradigm, you probably need to rid yourself of that paradigm because mm-hmm. it means you're noticing that you're failing because of a pattern of thinking. If you're succeeding, then you're not going to think you need to rid yourself of that paradigm unless you have a serious come to Jesus moment, no pun intended. But I'm more thinking of like the the rule we're talking about, which is stand up straight with your shoulders back that I for me, yeah. I wasn't able to do that until I stopped framing the world in two categories. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had to, yeah. That's I had what to I mean. open you, up the you, world and say yeah. like, 
in order for me to take responsibility, I have to give nod to the idea that it might just be me taking responsibility and it's not a puppet show and it's not everything is God's plan and God's like working all these things. I mean, maybe that's what it's like behind the curtain. I don't know, but it doesn't necessarily feel like that. So I might as well take responsibility along the way. There's cause and effect beyond just what team you're on. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a good way to say that. Mm -hmm. I I think it would be mistake. I think it would be a mistake to, you know, to uh, misappropriate, you know, the teaching that we were given to say that there was no such thing as common sense in that sphere. Am I saying? Uh, No, I'm not saying you are. I'm like I'm just talking talking clearly. Flesh and spirit. No, I know. I'm saying like I think the confusion. There's a confusion that happens. It's the reason why we're all thinking about this. Is there's a confusion, and the confusion comes from having overlapping magisteria, like overlapping dogmas that overlap and and don't explain how they overlap or you know you're saying a lot in these each of these sets of dogma like there's a lot of there's a lot of the proverbs that talk about causality and talk about like you put in the effort and like you know your crops are going to grow you know if you're lazy at the wrong time of year your crops aren't going to grow you know and like yeah. that's a that is petersonian you know take you know clean your room type ethic I mean, he's into the Bible. It's in there. So like, and we were taught that, but then we were also taught this intangible anatomy thing and this like kind of over the top, this over the top version of total depravity that, that if it's true, then how is the other doctrine true? Like, how do they overlap? And should you really be that strong about this if you don't really know what you're talking about, you know, and you don't know how you can't explain how normal common sense things happen for believers like you can't tell me there's no set, there's no difference between common sense for an unbeliever and a believer and you can't you can't show me in your dogma where common sense actually comes from in the intangible anatomy because the binary thing is so strong it's like so it's it's more of a confusion than 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 like this, you know, monolithic. Uh, what I'm saying is, I've thrown out the duality. Everything is flesh and spirit. I've thrown out that duality. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not the whole entire. I think you have to to talk about this. You, you have, have to, to to function and 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 walk. Yeah, it doesn't work. I feel like David, Dave talked about earlier about there be you know if you're asking the question, it means you found something a dysfunction. But you could, the balance to it is you could find good function. Operate within op, it you healthy. Can operate healthily yeah. in the system. And I've that's, seen that a yeah, lot. Me too. And like yeah. that is the fascinating part about yeah. it is like uh, someone that doesn't seem to have to be uh, dealing with the, the, the demons in their life almost. They find themselves without having to like uh, split themselves up and negotiate that I'm running from the the dragon and so i'm just gonna be in this orderly little castle over here you know and they, they but they're actually able to find meaning i, I don't know how to describe no, it. no i think you said it well there's some things in the church that um you won't find in pop culture that are necessary and important and valuable there's there's community there's morality there's the sense that you know people are important 
but you yourself aren't so terribly important that you can treat others poorly. I mean, there's a whole set of beliefs and mores within the church that are at least ascribed to, even if they don't always work out practically because people are funny, but that just aren't out there in the culture at large. You know, you, you look at pop culture and it's all, it's, it's all about me. It's all about money. It's all about, you know, cars and women and pretty things. It's like, ah, there's, there's, you know, there's a place for a spiritual tradition and, and it's, um, it's profoundly saddening to me personally that 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 stuff is uh, is associated with so much nonsense. Mm. That's a. I share that sadness. I feel like I, another way to say it is that you could be you're you could be fear driven if you like if you sense that the like the dark side and you call it the flesh and you're alienating it and you don't want to deal with it. Oh, the shadow. Yeah, the shadow. The dragon, you know? Like, that creates a fear fear motivation for basically everything you do. And you're clinging to... A, it's not actual, like, finding meaning. You're, you're trying to fulfill the spiritual side. You're trying to live in the bright side. That, that kind of thing that I don't think everyone ever... Not everyone gets there. Not everyone needs it. Some people actually find meaning... Uh, and they, they're 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 you you have the same framework set up, and some people are are actually fulfilling their life meaning and finding it in the same framework as other people are trying to be spiritual because they're trying to run from the the you know the the dark side and 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 I don't find it very helpful to always label like we were talking about like the binary like yeah. this is either this is not me this or this is me and that's the self-loathing that's the part i don't love and like there's no redeeming it and it's so bad and then and then this is the side that it well it's god if it if it's good it's god in me like that i i do appreciate the conversation of like the nuts and bolts and i guess one thought that i have i've been thinking about recently that my own anyone that knows me for any period of time i i have a tremendous alarming uh, ability to forget details to like not be able to attract things uh, that affects everything practically obviously and um, this whole thought of taking responsibility I w in my own life I've had a couple experiences where a lot of responsibility was given to me and I was I was more shocked than anyone around me that all of a sudden dates, uh, numbers, like lockbox numbers, other things, uh, everything actually clicked. And I did not feel like I was uh, incapable, that there was something specially different about me. Um, and it was shocking to me, that revelation, that just that point of like, hey, you're responsible for this and like, go for it, hmm. uh, changed a part of how I thought and that that is something that like kind of he's it's what he's advocating but it's also very practical that I don't know what it is but if you're personally responsible for certain areas and you're not looking to blame uh, <laughs> it's amazing that something could actually happen on a brain level <laughs> no fancy words for it but that I've seen it happen in my own life and it, it uh, 
kind of goes along with what we're talking about. Yeah, things spiral upwards. There's something to be said yeah. about the positive emotional value on things like work like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like it, you know, what you value will ha- will have an effect on what you can remember and what yes. you're capable of doing. Which is back to the lobster. It's like there's a physiological, there's a result physiologically when you pull your shoulders back and you and you um, meet the world forthrightly, you know, and you intend on doing your damnedest to not be bowled over by, you know, the things in you and outside of you that are, you know, resistant to your own success, you know, and instead of being, instead of being laissez-faire or, uh, you know, and instead of just conceding territory, which snowballs to more conceding of territory. Yeah. Like you you start to play the game a little smarter and you recognize that like it's you can't tell whether you're self-justifying in in conceding territory or whether or not you're you know you're actually failing. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to realize like You know, I I tend to always like just walk away from this conversation I have with this person. I just every time I just tend to always walk away and like I can't figure out whether or not I'm just just I can't figure out whether or not like this is just something that I should be conceding or or am I justifying the concession of territory that shouldn't be conceded. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, if you start thinking about the things around you as opportunities, opportunities for wellness, like, cause two lobsters fighting over a little piece of territory is such an arbitrary. It's like, you know, it, it's like, you know, the hyper masculinity and competition. It's like, there's a place for that in the world, but like, there's a lot of other spots where it's not about fighting for, you know, ego, it's about fighting for your life, you know, right. and fighting for your own wellness and the wellness of your kids. And, you know, it's like if your kids see you conceding the wrong territory, they might just justify, they might go ahead and justify the same behavior in their own life. And, and the snowball goes to the next generation yeah. where, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, and sometimes that means like, for myself, it means I didn't vote in the last election. That was not like, I wasn't like, I wasn't like, uh, oh, well, I'm not going to vote because I don't like either candidate. It was like, it, it was me pulling my shoulders back and, and like, I'm done being a team player. Like, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to vote for that person either, you know? And I'm just, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to put my hat in the ring on this one. Like, I feel like it's a, it's bad for my conscience. You know, it's like a sin of con. It's it's a crime of conscience. I felt that way anyways. I didn't know you, you abstained. I, I I sat on my tukas that day and I've always voted. It was protest. It was a difficult thing for me to do. Some people it's easy to protest. It's like, that's their, that's their modus operandi is protest. And it might be, they might be the failing lobster in their protesting because, 
you know, maybe the thing you should do is think about the pragmatic, the pragmatic approach, the utilitarian approach, instead of just being in protest of everything, maybe you should try and make things work, you know, instead of, because like, haven't you noticed that, that like some people, when they, when they fail, they get talkative, you know, they're like, just kind of like dance around with words, like, you know, try to explain themselves. And, and it's like, uh, yeah, no, you, you just lost. Like, and you feel terrible. And like, this is like some after posturing that you have under your rock. You like, you know, the lobster went back under its rock after losing the battle and like kind of buzzing in, you know, posturing. But like, instead, you notice what happened to you. You recognize that you have to have a plan of attack next time and that you need to, you need to put your best foot forward, which is like that, you know, pull your shoulders back, believe in the opportunity, like maybe not believe in yourself because like you don't know what you're made of yet, but believe in the opportunity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's something that was made really clear in here that I think isn't often explained well enough. Um, in the book, you mean? Yeah. Is, uh, how dangerous it is to be a loser. Like Mm. people, I think that's something that the uh, you know traditional toxic masculine culture had that uh, people have tried to shy away from. Like, no son of mine's going to be a loser, you know. But it's real. You have to figure out what game you're playing, and you have to win. And if you can't win at that game, you're choosing the wrong game. But you have to figure out a way that you can succeed in life, whatever that means. Like, and and if if you accept the fact that you're going to be on the bottom every time. It's not just that you're going to be like the weak Mr. Nice Guy. Mm. You're going to be a monster. Yeah. You're going to destroy yourself and everybody around you because yeah. you're designed to be a productive part yeah. of a community as a human being. That's what the human animal is. Yeah. And you need to figure out how to succeed in whatever niche you can. Yeah, you like know? reading books. Right. When you know that you want to read books and you have a stack of them and you don't read them, it mocks you. And then you have like this like weird reaction to that, that mocking where you like act like you read books (laughs) you know what I mean? and you like pretend like you read books and that it's, you actually really failed and you need to like go back, you know, you need to go back because you feel terrible. You need to actually read the book now because you're a failure. And like the only thing that comes out of you is this, this buzzing, this pretense you know, like you've got to, you've got to find it. You, And like, it's not acceptable that you act like you read a book that you didn't read. Like you need to read the book. <laughs> I think for well, what what I, about, what I, uh, about the case of each time you lose, like you did go a little bit further. So like, for example, when I was wrestling in high school, like my first match was five frames of the camera mm. and and then, like, towards the end, I was able to last all six minutes. And, yeah, I never actually won, but I, I like, I, I was a little bit less of a loser each time. That's, that's mm. not really so, a loss. That's not failure. you're not retreating under your rock. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. right. I would say for me, in the chapter we're talking about, in order to put my shoulders back, there has to be something I cherish. Because I don't do it naturally. Yeah. Like, I'm not wired the way to just walk around with my chest out. Like, 
But if I think like this is for me and Joe's future, this is for our family, like I can put my shoulders all the way back. Yeah. If I think like I should get this career so that I can make this much money and have these letters after my name, I have like zero motivation to mm. do something like that. But if I think I should do this career for the betterment of these people I love or this my, my, my beautiful wife or my kids someday, like I can get you know, I can, I can be confident like that. And I'm actually kind of insecure in a lot of areas, Yeah. but I can find confidence in cherishing something. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like when I was reading this, I was thinking like, I'm probably the bottom lobster in a lot of ways, but if you give me something I cherish more than life itself, I'll rise to the top of that. So I almost feel like sometimes, at least when I've been the most depressed, it's because I didn't have anything to cherish and pour my heart into. But once you, I think so. Maybe if someone's constantly feeling like the bottom lobster, you know, they could they could find the like my therapist said, you can find the things that make life beautiful. Mm. Connect yourself purposefully to them every day. Yeah, like that's like a way to say like I cherish this, and that's like why I'm gonna stay in the fight because I, I mean, if but, you but but he's also talking about like he's also talking about like little battles. You know, that's a those are big battles, big meaning, you know, big, big pieces of meaning in your life that motivate you. But like he's also talking about, like making sure you're winning small battles. And sometimes they have shallow. They kind of seem shallow, but you need to win. Like you need to give an example. Like I said, like with the book, I'll say it again, like to, to relinquish the territory of that book that you really want to read, like some books you don't want to read. Yeah. Right. But if you really want to read a book, like you should not relinquish that territory. Like you should read the damn book. And then sometimes you should read the book so that you feel good about reading that topic. Like mm-hmm. I know I've done that. Like I, there's been something I've really, I've wanted to get my hands dirty on. So I read it f- so that I feel better about my approach to that topic. I've at least put my hand in the, my, my hat in the ring in that topic. Right. You know what I mean? And like to not read it, and then like to have that like I, I don't I don't know if I'm having like a serotonin problem with re- regards to a book, but like that failure with regards to that book and the lack of knowledge in that topic, and then what happens in me when I have that failure, which is the posturing, the like acting like I know something that I have I have not read about, you know, like like I need the victory for forward momentum like when it comes to just just being an autodidact takes like actual work to to teach yourself anything takes work and like if you want to learn things you might want to work hard because if you don't work hard you're going to feel terrible so it's like sometimes it's for your own feeling it's so that you feel good. Sure. You have to win some battles, like Andrew is said. Is there a place for... I'm sorry, Andrew, go ahead. I'd, I'd like to come clean. I did not read Descartes. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've talked about it, let's just put it in the air. <laughs> I was going to say, is there a place for a sideline lobster? So, so I'm thinking about two lobsters fighting for territory. I'm thinking about the top lobster flexing his claws or whatever. And then I'm thinking of the guy in the bottom who's like, this always happens. <laughs> like, so, but then I'm like, is there a sideline lobster, like a Proverbs 24 lobster, who looks at the field of the slothful and gains understanding? Like, not, not in a prideful way, but like, <laughs> could I watch two lobsters smacking each other with their claws and say like, that's not a... 
that's not a useful fight for me. Like, I don't have anything to gain in that ring. I think like, that's the appropriate place of the depressed lobster. <laughs> the depressed lobster. So I'm a depressed right, lobster. Right, it's the right the way lobster. to assimilate the, the failure. Yeah, it go, goes under his rock, says, oh, man, I lost. Well, I guess I need to eat again tomorrow. I guess I need to figure out a way to go, like, you know, have some hunting territory. Because I need that krill. Right. I'm not just going to sit under here and starve. Right. Yeah. You know, but I'm depressed today. This sucks. Right. And tomorrow I'm going to go out and I'm going to get some krill. You know, right. like that's, that's you know, self-care depression lobster. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably yeah, the and, closest and the, to And the dominance hierarchy, <laughs> like the whole yeah. dominance hierarchy thing is, it's a hierarchy. It's not just one and then the bottom. It's a pyramid. But can so, you watch from a third party viewpoint? Like... Can you gain understanding of maybe the the fights that are valuable and the fights that aren't, and then I think engage? that's how you. I think that's how people succeed. Like we're not lobsters. No, I, I so, got that. <laughs> so like, so if you see top dog at a company that you work at, and that's the hierarchy that you're going to try to be top lobster in, like, then you're going to need to pay attention from a third person point of view a lot. Okay. Because you got to like gain competence. That's another p- Peter. Petersonian thing is like you you have no competence so you don't try to change the world okay you clean your room and then your competence is you have a small increment of competence meaning like you can actually fold your bed sheet down and put your pillow there you're constant <laughs> you're confident you're um your competence is increasing and then maybe you go to that paper stack of papers on the desk yeah. and like your competence is increasing and then like if your competence increases enough you just might be able to figure out how to get up a dominance hierarchy it's like your con sometimes it's biological there's just top dog people that their competence is stupid high do you have but to me like what you're saying that? is what do you have to climb the dominance hierarchy like no, that's what Andrew was saying. Like, if you don't like that game, play an- another, another game. game. Okay. You need to win a game. Mm-hmm. You need, or you need to attempt to win a game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You need to at least like, you need to have enough serotonin in your system that you're not afraid of the guy at the uh, grocery store when you're checking out. Right. Like. <laughs> yeah, like, you need to you win need... the game of driving and not end up in an accident every day. I that's a good one. You need to go get your groceries, yeah. right? And you need to be able to negotiate that sort of situation. You know? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just thinking of times when I've seen people. Social media is a lobster fight sometimes, Ooh, and that's why you need I'll to get out like, of that race. I'll be on the, I'll be on the sidelines, like, like stroking my lobster beard and just like looking at it and thinking I'm that's not I don't need to prove myself in that context oh yeah that's when you break out the lobster popcorn yeah and your lobster Lop- popcorn yeah. I think which <laughs> no I mean I think I guess I'm trying to figure out because I I get the whole like tooth and claw you know dog eat dog world you climb you you push you yeah. win but there are ways that doesn't appeal to me at all well it's a metaphor Matt it's not always like no, but the nature masculine. is tooth and claw, red with tooth right, and claw. Right, but now we live in a very different world than than pure nature. So but, like you can win the do- dominance hierarchy of like, you know, kindergarten teachers, right? Like and and that doesn't mean like you can put a headlock on all the other <laughs> kindergarten teachers. It means that your kids love you. Right. Yeah. And, and it doesn't mean your ego is sky high. It means that 
you you get to keep your job when there's layoffs. So that that's helpful <laughs> for you to clarify that because yeah. to me a lot of the fighting is ego. But if you're saying it's more like you become competent and successful mm-hmm. in the thing that you do and the people that you know love and appreciate you love and appreciate them. I think that's how we're defining the allegory success. doesn't lend itself to it's it, it's not an easy interface with uh, most of the dominance hierarchies that you're going to come across. Okay. I think yeah, that's it, helpful it even for me applies for the to like. It applies to romantic relationships. Yeah. Like you're not fighting, like, but yeah, like each each relationship you've had up until your marriage, like, it at least for me went a little bit better. But then it actually has the question, like, the ending of each relationship was a little bit worse. Mm. So so I had more of a serotonin dump after. Like, like as, as I was getting better at this relationship thing, like... I think it's best... It's probably best to see each relationship as, like, a dominance hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Matt, you won the Joanna dominance hierarchy. Right. Oh, I don't like, like there was a race. <laughs> What's that? I don't like looking at it that way. No, no, no. no I, but... If you think about it, like, you... You right. you didn't win that one by, like, fist fighting a bunch of dudes. You won it by being a sweetheart. And that's what won that. There's other women that you might have to fist fight a bunch of dudes to win that dominance <laughs> hierarchy. But like a specific relationship, that person has standards and mm-hmm. like... and So you could win a dominance hierarchy par- with compassion and... Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. dude. Okay. So I'm thinking of like... Let, did you let, read the book? I did. I have, I have 30 pages <laughs> of notes. No, I'm just no, playing like, with you. Like, yeah, <laughs> Marriage is a dominance hierarchy because you won your wife's heart. Like yeah. winning yeah. your wife's heart. Once is a, in, it's no longer a dominance hierarchy. I it's have a, a, it's I, a partnership. I, I think I have, right, trouble, right. I have trouble with the phrase dominance hierarchy. Yeah. I feel competence hierarchy is the one he likes to use. Yeah, he likes to say competence dominant, I, I guess dominance, I think of like dictatorial looking right. down. Well, because right. like he describes Dominating. Jesus as like, this is, this is why do- he, he had one of his students said like, don't use dominance because like the, the Marxist, that, that word has been co-opted by the Marxists, right? Like, so right. don't use dominance, use competence. He always says he's, his student corrected him on that. And he said, he said in the transliminal one, uh, the transliminal, the first transliminal interview he talks about, Jesus essentially being the top lobster Mm -hmm. like and he won through being like the ultimate hero in all of the ways that you can be a hero like he he saved all of mankind he was the kindest he was the most selfless like so all of these are like essentially like all these are like dominance hierarchies who is the kindest person is a dominance hierarchy. But you don't have people fighting tooth and claw to be the kindest person. But but, but that's why it's it's allegorical. Okay. It's like I'm it's, probably taking it way too literally. That's maybe mm-hmm. my problem. Well, but, no, you're not because like there are situations that are tooth and claw. Like if you go to Wall Street and you're going to work at some right. banker banking firm, like some trading firm, like that is going to be tooth and claw. Right. And your masculinity and, is what's going to drive you to the top and your intelligence. And even Jesus fought tooth and claw against pharisees sometimes sure. he, he's well, flipped I, over tables i'm not saying like that, that it's not worth fighting so. people who are abusive or manipulative or harmful to others i i dig that for sure i guess that right just the idea of climbing a ladder is not appealing to me 
Like when I think of a dominance hierarchy, I'm you like, you don't want to compete for things. It's not. It's, no, it's not my thing. No. So, but hearing you say it the way you clarified it makes more. No, it's like if you're competent. Like, by hook or by crook, the most competent person is going to be the one that is at the top of the hierarchy. It doesn't mean they have ego in their drive. It means, like, this dude is amazing at math. Like, he was born that way. He's at the top of the hierarchy because of competence in that area. So someone like Sam, who's excellent at math and physics, but is very humble, he's in some ways, like towards the top of the hierarchy even because though he, of competence because of competence not because he didn't he's have a, to he's fight a jerk anyone. or he's proud okay yeah. that makes more sense i mean he, he has some examples of it there in the book but uh, one um i guess i got to see some of the opposite uh i saw the, some of the effects of trying to reduce the competence hierarchy in like post-soviet russia where there's whole it seems like some of a whole generation of men are just not around because they like there was so much drinking involved and it seemed like it was clearly I was talking to my wife about it like it seemed clearly to be something where they had trouble integrating as just normal people and like society is all set you just have to fill these holes like you know you're the circle just be that nut and bolt and you should be fine and there was plenty of order there's plenty of everything but somehow they weren't able to function well you know and that's not everyone but uh they weren't able to it seems like without that opportunity to like compete in whatever they're good at when they're you're just meant to be a some you know a part of this thing and don't compete yeah we we die (laughs) you know like we just we lose that, like, okay, so at home, uh, someone is is really helpful and really good at, at uh, uh, you know, homemaking, and that could be something that you could be competing at in a good way, you know, and flourishing. But then someone else, uh, if you don't find that place where you're flourishing in that, that again, it's the hierarchy thing that kind of sounds bad but i think the comp calling it competence of just finding yeah. where you can but there's competition involved for sure and i, I think that's the the thing that sometimes uh it, yeah like and, if and you it's not always competition against someone else so like, could it be competition against yourself but like i'm thinking like yeah in the home you're like you're trying to love your wife and like if your wife feels loved, then you win. If she doesn't feel loved, then you lose. And so, so in a way, you're competing against yourself to yeah, be as competent as possible in loving the person you love. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a tough allegory because sometimes it's a direct. Sometimes it's it's it it's a direct representation of what happens. It, competition. There's feelings hurt and the feeling of defeat and all of that and then other times a competence hierarchy just it's just like yeah it's a battle against yourself it's like are you going to be kind today like because your office is where you work you're talking to people on the phones like if you're not kind yeah you're gonna be at the very bottom of the heap that day right like if you're like just spouting off on every customer on the phone like you're you're all of a sudden going to be the problem in the office right 
and it and it had nothing to do with like losing to some other lobster. It just had to do with you, you know you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Yeah, I think the thing is it's not so much about the I. Th- it's not so much about the nature of the competition as the choice to engage. Hmm. So, like, you think about the depressed lobster going under his rock. Okay, well, that might be, you know, the kid on the block who gets beat up and he just stays in his house all day. Or it might be the husband who's been married for, you know, 20 years and he decides he's tired of dealing with certain things. Like, he's just going to stop engaging because he's, he's tired of, you know, dealing with uh, certain personality issues sure you know and and that person becomes defeated and withdrawn and the relationship goes to crap because they, they just stop trying hmm. you so know? you're saying so it's not a choice it's not a to fight. engage it's a choice to engage no, rather than fighting to climb a ladder to be the top dog or whatever you don't have to dominate every individual but every situation you come across in life like like Jocko has this thing default aggressive right mm. it's not about you know me being on top and calling the shots in every situation it's about me choosing to engage and, and being a productive mm. part of the, the picture mm. so in, like in psychology they say like being present yeah like in therapy you engaging the moment being present being grounded it's like choosing to show up versus yeah. Fist fighting for territory, and that spirals upwards. Like because the more you're engaged, the more you're gonna feel like you're making an imprint on your surroundings, and you're not the you're not the tail, you're the head. Even though you're not maybe the leader of the company, or your ideas might not even be, you know, they might be taken as a grain of salt. But at least you're interfacing properly with your surroundings, and you're forthright in the world. Right, and there's um. It's interesting to me in uh, in chimpanzees they found out the uh, the chimps who were at the top of their social um, hierarchy the ones that had higher testosterone uh, were actually more pro social like there there's a pro social element to dominance where the ones at the top would uh, you know help groom the other ones and paid attention to the babies and mm. and like took care of things whereas the ones who you know never gotten any attention from the chimp ladies ever in their life were more likely to be you know frustrated risk takers likely to lash out violently you know there's there's something to be said for the psychological consequences of choosing to engage and being successful in in whatever dimension you're talking about it's not about like domineering other individuals it's about uh you know showing up for your life Mm. well that's a lot more you know clear to me the way you guys just broke it down than the original analogy that that felt very combative i wasn't feeling the analogy but i get it way more the way you explained it Mm. so um thanks for listening and uh have a good night or day or whatever whatever time it is whatever